Rack your look for fall at your Nordstrom Rack Store and get brands you love up to 60% off. We've got them. Vince, Frame, Marc Jacobs, All Saints, Theory, and more. Save on everything you need and want for the new season today at Nordstrom Rack. The latest denim, boots, cozy sweaters, designer bags, plus updates for the whole family and home. Score great brands, great prices, now up to 60% off every day at Nordstrom Rack. What will you find? Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This is gonna feel real good, alright? Most dope. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. everybody how you doing well that's good welcome to broad street hockey radio that's right bsh radio my name is bill Matz. i'm your director of fun and games for the evening it's over it's finally over and today it's it's basically our season finale as well these are our ex- exit interviews uh it's what a long strange trip it has been i realize it was a shortened season but goddamn, it did not feel like it. It felt like, in fact, the longest season of all time. So uh, let's just get right into it. Let's get to the intros. Let's lead things off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. I don't really have a hot take isolated for this particular portion of the show. But I will just say that I'm extremely ready for everyone who listens to this show to like call me a cuck or something after I'm done <laughs> making excuses for this hockey team for the next hour. So let's just let's roll. Old Cuck Hinkle, that's what we call her. (laughs) (laughs) Excuse me. From TheAthletic.com, it's Charlie O'Connor. I just think we should all, not like us four, but literally everyone that is listening to this show, we should all just pat ourselves on the back because we made Mm. it. We got through this hell ride of a season. It's over. We can actually, you know, take a step back and not think about the Philadelphia Flyers 24-7 and obsess over everything, we can actually, like, you know, maybe not be miserable most of the time. And that's, that's good, uh, because we survived. And I, mean, and I, think, I think, like, you know, this, this wasn't a positive season by any means, but <laughs> hopefully we have other things in our lives that are good. And let's focus on them. Charlie. Well. Charlie, first I mean, of all. First of all, I want to commend your idea of everyone <clears throat> everyone out there listening, all of us patting ourselves on the back. Yeah, Charlie, I told you off air, I just read your player grades column uh, on The Athletic, 
and I really liked it. I especially liked the A section in which no one was awarded an A. For uh, nope. for the rest of the grades, go to theathletic.com and uh, pay the fee to read it. But I, I, I believe all of us deserve an A. So congratulations, guys. You all get A's. Uh, the other end of it, yeah, we could just not think about the Philadelphia Flyers or... I could go on Twitter for eight hours and call everyone an asshole who doesn't agree with me about exactly you what they do, need that. To do and why. <laughs> that is that an is one strategy that seems to be employed by several people. <laughs> that is in fact an option <laughs> to each their own. Uh, and last but not least, Stephalicious D, Steph Driver. Uh, we did make it, and it did feel like the longest season of all time. Um, if you look at our podcast feed where you're finding this podcast right now, you'll find um, a BSH interviews with a friend of ours who got sheet caked by Gritty. And that is now a verb, getting sheet caked. I love that it's a verb. Uh, that happened. It's, it's a fantastic. verb now. So <laughs> she dirty. straight up took, I know, she straight up took a sheet cake to the face. And there's no innuendo there. Like, it was a sheet cake. And it was, and there was some impact. There was like there was a thwack. There was a squeak before the thwack. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe um, she didn't like tumble. Like she took that. Well, they she, like a she champ. said in the interview they told her not to flinch. So that was the only thing going through her head. Like don't flinch. <laughs> and in the interview, you'll find out that she got hit with not one, but two <gasps> sheet cakes. And we don't know where that second sheet cake video oh is. Oh, my God. So he hit her with the first sheet cake, turned around, went back into the van, got a second one, and threw that one, too. Oh, my God. Gritty is so fucking, like, I realize people, like, get mad about the mascot because people are miserable. And it's, it's just the way ownership is pulling the wool over your eyes. Like, no, I fully recognize this. <laughs> I fully recognize this team fucking sucks. That doesn't change the fact that it's hilarious. It's amazing. <laughs> Whoever it's is amazing. in there is an absolute genius. Yeah. Just yeah. so good and at like their job. And like an athlete. Yes. They hit Lauren from a, a, a there was distance, distance yeah. right in the head. Very accurate throw. I mean, that that was, yeah. we're, we're talking about like sign this guy to a minor league contract and see what happens kind of thing. <laughs> minor league? Half well, the I mean, bullpen he's start can't somewhere. make that. Half the bullpen can't make that throw. Jesus. <laughs> so I just want to say, man, I'm going to do plenty of complaining about the actual Flyers soon. Because, like, yeah, I'm, it's not like I'm happy. But goddamn, what a stupid fucking season. Like, oh, so stupid. Just the worst. The Flyers have been done for a week and a half, and the regular season still has six days. It's not just Canada. I think the West finally wraps up tonight. Like, the playoffs start Saturday, and then there's still games in the regular season. Like, what is this? What are we doing? What is this season? Why is this, why? Why is this season Well, I mean, the why is happening? because of all of the, it's all of the COVID pauses. Like, that's why. It, it, it was not No, I get why. Over, but... It's just the dumbest fucking season ever. Like, oh, yeah, it's super uh, dumb. Why does why does Vancouver and Calgary have to finish out their season first of all? Like what is the point of this? That really is. Like I like everyone knows why. It's because there are TV deals, there, you know, contracts signed and they're trying to fulfill their obligations. But these games are a farce. Like they really are. Mm -hmm. They're going to be so bad. 
because the players, both teams know they're not making the playoffs. It's irrelevant to the standings aside from, I guess, draft position or lottery position or whatever. They're just going to be skating around like it's kind of like a leisurely skate. And I don't blame them because the games don't mean a damn thing. And I get the NHL's in a position where, again, they have to, you know, kind of keep their their partners happy in terms of the obligations that they've, uh, you know, that they've, I guess, promised to, to fulfill. But, yeah, these the idea of the Vancouver-Calgary games, like they really should have found a way to be like, all right, Vancouver. You had this team-wide COVID outbreak. You're not making the playoffs anyway. Just go home. Like, you had an awful season. Just go home. You don't have to Mm -hmm. play out the strength. But, unfortunately, money is involved and money talks in this situation, which means they got to go out and play hockey even though the games don't actually matter. I don't know how Canada, or I don't know how television works in Canada. Maybe there is more than just three stations and, like, two of them are about bacon. I don't know. But, uh, like, uh, wouldn't these networks be happier airing, I don't know, fucking playoff games? Like, <laughs> just I, it's probably the regional networks and all sorts of stuff. I don't know how it all works. But uh, it, it just seems pointless. Absolutely freaking pointless to me. But that's neither here nor there. We have our own team to worry about. And, uh, man. Do I, we have to? I guess. <laughs> I, yeah, this is it. This is, we, we reflect today and then we never look back. This is this is the Dave Haxtell era. We just for we put it in the rear view and we talk about it constantly. Uh, <laughs> so I wanted to lead off. I wanted to lead off with I think maybe my favorite question from all of the exit interviews, and it came from our own Charlie O'Connor. He asked the one and only Dave Scott, the uh, just the genius running this whole ship here. Uh, he asked. He tweeted this out. That's how I heard it uh, at first. He said, "Ask Dave Scott that if the collapse was un- unacceptable, why no obvious changes were made this season in response to that collapse." Now, first of all, that just really hits on like something that drives me nuts. People call shit unacceptable and then they accept it. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> and then we fully accepted this unacceptable outcome. So Charlie asked that. And he said that Dave Scott responded by pointing out the success of last season and the odd nature of this season. So basically, 2019-20 earned people some slack in his eyes. Now, the odd nature of this season, I started with that. It was an odd, stupid season where if one thing went wrong, it, there was a good chance 20 things were going to go wrong. Understandable. I We've talked about it. I've even acknowledged it. However... The success of 2019-20 was a single playoff round victory. A round in which they were outscored 13-11. And then in round two, the round they lost in, they were outscored 24-16 and the only games they won were in overtime. I realize, like, last year, comparatively to what we'd been seeing, was a success. Just the product we saw on the ice was considerably better than what we'd been watching for the previous seasons. However... To say that that season, in which they won one playoff round unimpressively, was, oh yeah, well, we can't, we can't change anything, look at what we did last year. That's just flawed from the start. Like, how can, how can those two things, like, how can that be the excuse? Oh yeah, but last year we were so good. Were you? So, I think it's important to acknowledge that what you are referring to happened after the onset 
of a pandemic. Now, I know that no one wants to acknowledge that that may have affected the lives of human beings that play hockey for a living. I know that that's something that we just have decided is not allowed to happen. However, it did. Um, And I'm assuming that what Dave is referring to is the regular season in which they looked very, very good. And I do think that it is reasonable that you can say both that success and the way they played definitely earned them a little bit of leeway and also they need to be better and changes need to be made. Like both of those things can be true. So I go kind of, I I agree with a lot of what Kelly said. Like, yes, this was before the pandemic and that's what we need to be looking at. But I also agree with Bill where it was a really, it was a really, really spectacular two, three months, but it wasn't a whole season. Um, From January to March, they were outstanding. And, and like, there's no disputing that. It was a very, very successful few months. But it wasn't a whole season. And they couldn't get it back. Um, So I... In the end, I don't know where I land when it comes to an opinion on this, which is really unlike me. I was going to say. I I know. I know. I'm. Georgia has ruined me. You're all like chill. Um, She's talking all slow. Like. I know. What the fuck's happening? Well, no, that's because I haven't had coffee yet. That's two weeks in my brain is five steps behind, guys. Um, I. All right, so this is my opinion right now. There's no reason that two months, two and a half months of success should buy the assistant coaches their jobs. Oh, not them. I was talking about that. Let's let's be clear here. That's that's where I land. Um, But the players, for the players, I don't think that we should be God, I just give them so much leeway because the the pandemic was just so brutal on everyone. I give them flexibility because the pandemic was awful, not because of what they did in January. I'll give them more slack, and I'll get to you in one second, Charlie. I'll I'll, I'll give them more slack for this season. Like, not the results, because, like, I'm still mad about what happened, but just in terms of, like, blaming the pandemic, like... Everyone was under the exact same circumstances in the bubble. Like, Tampa Bay was awesome, and you know what they did? Went and won the cup. Like, so, I, I, it's not, I, I have an easier time blaming the pandemic for this, the current season that just ended, than, like, calling last year a rousing success when, like, I, I, was it? I don't know. It was nice. It was cool to win around. I'm really happy that happened for the first time in, like, eight years, but... I don't know. It seems like it's just the bare absolute minimum of what you could possibly accomplish. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah. So I, I think there's there's two points I want to make here. The first point in reference to referencing specifically my question, my question to Dave Scott, which was, if it was unacceptable, why did you accept it and do nothing? In retrospect, they should have done something. Like they really should have done something in March when things were going to shit to at least show that like, Hey, we're trying to save this season. 
Like, I don't know what, like, maybe that something would have been, and we're going to get to this later, knowing that Carter Hart was a goddamn mess, maybe go out and get a goalie and sit Carter Hart yeah. for two weeks. Like, something. Overpay for a defenseman to, to, to stabilize the defense. Fire an assistant coach. Like, something I think should have been done in season, both number one, to try to save a season that at that time still could have been saved, and number two, to show the fans that the front office and ownership actually gave a shit that stuff was going as bad as it went. So that's number one. I do think something should have been done. Something beyond, you know, at the trade deadline, trading Michael Roffel and Eric Gustafson for basically nothing. So that's number one. <laughs> number two, I do think that there has kind of been a revisionist history about 2019-2020 that it actually wasn't that good. And I have yes. and, and I have an issue with that because so let's start with the playoffs. I will acknowledge that the Flyers did not play that well in the playoffs. That said, I don't think they played as badly as people act like they do. Because going to the Montreal series, Montreal, and this was the reason why going in that series, I was concerned. Montreal was a good team that year that had bad goaltending. They were one of the best play driving teams in the league. They were a legitimately dangerous club that was torpedoed because Carey Price played like shit during the regular season. In the playoffs, he remembered his name as Carey Price, and suddenly, Montreal was a pretty darn good team. That was not an easy series. It was a deceptively difficult series, and they won it. Yeah. The Islanders were a team that, even when the Flyers were playing well, really well, they couldn't beat the they Islanders beat. in the regular season. Yeah. It was a terrible matchup for them, apparently. And, yes, they did not play well in that series. The Islanders were the better team, but... For all the talk that we have about this year, especially, about the idea of, you know, the mix being bad and they don't have heart and all that stuff, they won three overtime games. You kind of have to have heart to win three overtime games in a playoff series against a team that matches up, matches up well against you. So, like, I'm not saying the playoffs are perfect, but I'm saying they are better than a lot of people remember. The Flyers, in my mind, did not play their best and still you know, didn't do that bad. They won a series. They won their first series in a long time. They took the Islanders to seven games, and they pretty much did it, you know, not even necessarily on execution, but on basically flat-out effort, which in a way is impressive. Oh, so, I, so, I'm so, not so, yeah, saying, so, like, last season... Yeah, go ahead. But then I, I want to get to the regular season, too, because the regular season has kind of been retconned to be it was a month and a half of really good play. A few months. Yeah. And I don't and I don't think I don't think that's quite fair just because I think it oversimplifies what happened that season. So to quickly run through and I realize I'm, I'm hijacking some time here, but I, I, I just think this is something that like you can't really talk about on Twitter because it's a little bit too nuanced. So going through going through the, the 2009 to 2020 season. The first month of the year, the Flyers, from a from an underlying standpoint, were great. They kicked ass. I remember writing an article, like I think it was after they beat Columbus on, on a Saturday game, that it was like, yeah, the Flyers are the best play driving team in hockey. This is wild. Then they struggled for a bit at the end of the end of October into November because I think they were still trying to grasp the nuances of a new coach's system. Yeah. Then and they, they acknowledged started, it. Yeah, and then they, they, they I remember hating Kevin Hayes in November. They acknowledged that. <laughs> then. They started to figure it out. They started to play very, very well going into December. I remember they played Ottawa. 
I think on like a Saturday, and it was like one of them. It was a home game in Wells Fargo Center, and Travis Konecki got hit, and the team basically like jumped up in support of him. They spent the whole rest of the game trying to basically kill every Ottawa player. Scott Lawton scores the game-winning goal, does a screaming Lawton, flyby yeah. of the bench. It was a lot of fun, and I remember writing an article after that game, being like, "Yo, the Flyers might be fun again. This is pretty cool." Well, then what happened? Then Oscar Limblom got cancer. And then the team got staggered because of that, which is totally freaking understandable when one of your teammates out of nowhere, who's under the age of 25, gets fucking cancer. Then they do the Disney on Ice trip. That was bad. They come back, and the rest of the year they were really good. Like, to me, like, people have retconned the season to be like it was an inconsistent Flyers year that just happened to end on them being hot. To me, I think that was a pretty good team all year that got hit with two things being we're adjusting to a new coach and our teammate got cancer that caused the only bad parts of the season. Like, I think the Flyers were a good team pretty much the whole year, and then in the playoffs, they didn't play as well as they could have, but it wasn't as bad as people remember. So I believe the Flyers should have done something to stem the bleeding this season, but I don't think it's crazy to say that 2009 to 2020 was a good year. I think it was a good year on the whole. Yeah, I'm not saying last year wasn't a—I'm not saying it was a failure. I'm just saying, like, what did they really accomplish to be like, well, we can't mix this up. Obviously, this is just an anomaly. Like, no, you've had one good year and one shit year. I don't know which is the true team. Like, I think think they're a lot closer to last year. I think they're a lot closer to last year than this year, like, true talent-wise, but— what the fuck does that mean? Like, they were terrible at the end of this season. Like, from March on, they were one of the worst teams in the league. So what's the... What are they really? Why can't we just fire Tarion and Yo? What are they doing? Why can't we trade for a goalie or a defenseman? Like, we can't possibly get one of these guys out of the lineup. Phil Myers, who hit the net maybe six times all year, God forbid we take his spot. Like, I, I don't know. It, it's just like... How good was it? I I, under, I agree with everything about last year that you said. I'm just saying, uh, it, that's it? That's the that's the ceiling for this team here is a playoff win? Uh, maybe we'll play better next time. I don't know. Or be better. Like, make no. the team better. I, that's just my... Well, you have looking at that, it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, cool with, we're cool with a second-round loss. Like, that's fine. So here's the we thing. made the playoffs. We got our home games. It's fine. The... The main takeaway here is that it really doesn't fucking matter what Dave Scott says. Because at this point, the people in charge of the hockey, Chuck Fletcher specifically, have acknowledged that the team isn't good enough, that the mix isn't right, and that changes need to be made. That's been said out loud. I don't give a fuck what Dave Scott says out of the two sides of his corporate lackey mouth. It doesn't matter. Chuck Fletcher has acknowledged that the team is going to change in the summertime. That's what's important here. Dave Scott is, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, what he said. No, what Dave Scott says to you and me doesn't matter. But what does matter is he's the one who's in charge of firing Chuck Fletcher. He's the one who sets the attitude for the team. And if he thinks this is acceptable, so too will be the people who are failing. Hold on. So I've worked in corporate America for a very long time, and you could be told literally in the morning that you're doing a great job and that you're next in line for a promotion and be fired two hours later. Yeah, they're later. full like, of shit. They're full of shit. They <laughs> I don't mean, his attitude, ever, his attitude, his attitude in this answer 
directly reflects what they did this season. Nah, we're fine. It yes, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, premeditate is that the right word that I'm looking for? What they're going to do in the off season? And and also, as Charlie said, they needed to do something in March. Once they didn't do anything in March, at that point, you get to like you get to the trade deadline, and what's the point then of doing anything? Like it's too late at that point. March, the season was lost. If you didn't do anything to stop the bleeding in March, doing anything after that was a waste of time. You might as well wait till the summer. So the point I'll make about Dave Scott here, in in regards to you know sort of what you're saying, Kelly, about does does what he says actually matter? I think Dave Scott's philosophy, as you know, chairman, owner, whatever you want to call him, of this team, is that he hired hockey guys. You know, he hired Chuck Fletcher, he hired Elaine Vigneault, and all that, and and all the coaches and whatnot. And he wants to be like, okay, I'm going to let them do their jobs. You know, they're, I'm going to talk to them. Because it was very clear to me in, in his comments that it seemed like he was essentially saying what Chuck Fletcher would say just in corporate speak terms. And I think that plays into, like, he is, he is an owner who is going to hire hockey people and let them do what they think is best. And Chuck Fletcher thinks what is best is not to go crazy and overreact and, or, or just react in general and, and make you know, you know, a blow-up change. Now, you can disagree with that. You can disagree with that being the right strategy. But Scott's viewpoint, like I, it's, not that I don't, it's not that I don't think Dave Scott cares. It's that I think Dave Scott looks at it as, I don't really know what to do, so I'm going to trust the guy who I hired to know what to do to do it. And then I'm going to say basically what he tells me in the conversations that we have. And in all honest, in all honesty, for most, as far as owners go, like that's not a terrible philosophy. It goes back to what we were saying last, last week where it's like that wasn't Ed Snyder's philosophy. So it seems like a dramatic departure from what Flyers fans have been used to. But like, I don't think that's inherently an awful philosophy. The question is whether you trust Chuck Fletcher. Like, that's the big question, because clearly Dave Scott trusts Chuck Fletcher still. If he didn't, Chuck Fletcher would not have a job. So to me, the, the Dave Scott question for me is less, does he care? And it's more, is he correct to trust that Chuck Fletcher and these coaches can fix this? That, like, it's, it's a subtle distinction, but it's a distinction. No, I, I get it. I just think it's, it's funny that, like, since he doesn't know what to do, he'll go to the people he hired. I, like, I really would love to be Chuck Fletcher when, like, my contract's up then. And be like, I would like a 200% raise I'm the <laughs> hockey guy. Like, I would love to be in that position of Chuck Fletcher. It's just like, I don't know, man. Fire and Tarion and Yo was like the easiest thing they could have done in the universe. And yeah. um, I don't know. They're both going to come back, you know. And they had like the worst penalty kill of all time this year. But I feel like, like that's it, Fletcher, though. That's not Dave Scott. Yeah, but like Fletcher is like being told everything's fine from his fucking boss. Uh, it's this high. Well, see, I, see, I just don't see, trust I, it. See, but I think it's, it's, it's not that it's not that Dave Scott is telling Fletcher that everything's fine. It's that Fletcher is talking to Dave Scott and basically being like, we'll figure this out. Trust me. And Scott is trusting him. So like, it just, it, I mean, this is kind of where I'm talking about. Like you have to better understand the, the dynamics here. Like, like, 
we're, everyone is still in Ed Snyder mode. Like, they still have this belief that, like, the chairman drives the direction. I don't think that's how it works anymore. And we have to kind of get used yeah. to that. That's even scarier that the general manager has no oversight. Like, I don't. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, if, I if the team. That's what he's saying. If the team struggles again next year, then people are probably getting canned. But at this point. Scott's looking at it as, I liked what I saw last year. I didn't like what I saw this year. I still trust the guys. But that trust could go away if the Flyers finish 24th in the league next year. All right, we are going to take a quick break because I feel like this next topic is going to take basically the whole rest of the show. Uh, So we're going to take our uh, commercial break right here, and we'll be back on the other side. This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys... It's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever hit Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, everybody, we are back. Welcome back to BSH Radio. Uh, we're getting into the uh, power dynamics within the hierarchy of the Philadelphia Flyers. And honestly, I just want to get back to the uh, to what we saw on the ice, but uh, uh, Kelly's going to get mad at me here, but I'm going to try to make a distinction like about using the pandemic as an excuse. Cause it's, it's, it is a valid reason for the way things went, but I kind of like heard some things like they came into the season out of shape. Like they weren't able to find ice in Canada or wherever they were home before the year. They didn't work hard enough to in the off season before they came into camp and like that kind of set the tone for the season and i have a lot of trouble accepting that as the excuse when they won a whole bunch of games to start the year like yes after the covid break things went to shit and that's a valid reason for why it did like still you know quote unquote unacceptable but like it's definitely contributed something out of their control uh why the season w- went the way it did but the stuff about coming into the season, I just, I don't know, man. They were like 11-4-3 or something at one point. I don't, I don't buy any of what he said, Vino said, about, first of all, it, it felt very much like a thing that I have come to realize is a normal Elaine Vino thing, which is I'm going to blame the younger players on the team for the things that went wrong with these games for reasons now i was in canada at the start of this pandemic it was not like from what i understand down here you could not do 
anything and they were serious about it. You could not go anywhere. You could not be in a park. You were allowed to go out and like run and then go right back to the house. And they were actually enforcing it, unlike here. So I can buy that if you're, you know, I don't know, Nolan Patrick, and you're in Manitoba and shit's locked down, you're like, how do I get on the ice? I don't know. I can't do it. They won't let me. Like, maybe they could have worked a little bit harder to, like, spend a bunch of money privately renting ice. I don't know what they could have done. But I can buy that it was harder for the people that were in Canada to do their normal off-season training. That I can buy. I, like Bill, I don't think that it was a problem heading into the season. They did not seem to be out of shape. I don't think that not being able to get ice time meant that they were, like, sitting on the couch eating potato chips all season. Like, I'm sure they were still doing quite a lot of athletic training. That's what I was doing. I, I just don't buy, I don't buy any of what he said, that part of what he said, to be honest with you. It just seemed like a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, like... I just uh, think it was, it was interesting. Um... I just thought it was interesting because then in the player interviews you do hear, like Travis Sanheim said, I tried real hard, but I don't have a full gym at my house. And like I had to buy ice time, but it was it was hard. Like they they will tell you that it was hard. Um, And I don't necessarily think that the results at the beginning of the season correlate um, because like you just spent months trapped in your house and now you're with the boys again and and there's definitely a bump that comes from the, the little bit of, of social life that you're able to have and plus they weren't even playing but then that again well. like they were what was that? they weren't even playing that well they were winning no they, they were playing, playing well. like trash <laughs> they they were playing awful awful hockey and they were just finding ways to win which i mean there's a different debate to be had there uh does that matter if they're not playing well if they're finding places finding ways yes it does because then i watched them play even worse and lose and that was decidedly less enjoyable (laughs) it was not as much fun it's true um but i i think that you know it's just it's interesting um and i think that the reason behind av's comments there is that like they want the young players to stay in Philly this offseason? Yeah, you said yeah. that or when this least, was happening. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that was a really to, good point. To train, I think, I think they want like they'll let the players go home for like a month or so, go say hi to your friends and your family, and hang out and eat mom's food. But then when you're ready to train, come back to Philly because we've got all the facilities here, and you'll be able to have ice time without paying for it. Yeah, it's ours. We own it, so come Saskatchewan. here. Saskatchewan. Yeah. I, I, I think that they want them to stay in the area, and I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing if they get some time with their family, but like, I think that that's all it comes down to. It's like, you're not going to be able to fuck around in Canada this offseason. Like, you've got to stay here. No, there's definitely an element of, mes- of message sending here, which is why, like, look, it's, I don't want this to come across as me defending Vigneault because I do think he's a pro in terms of message sending, but there is an element in that particular question where I kind of wonder if, the fact that English isn't his, like his first language kind of hurt him because it it his answer just was so weirdly worded 
that it came off as like an excuse where I think it really was intended to be sending a message to the young players that, okay, we all agree you weren't in the best of shape last year and like we're kind of going to give you a little bit of a pass because it was a global pandemic. We get it. But you ain't getting a pass this summer. If you go back home and you realize you can't train as much as you need to, then get the fuck back to Philly. Because you can train as much as you need to here. And if you don't, we ain't going to be happy with you. And I think that was what he was trying to say. But it kind of got jumbled because he just didn't feel, it didn't seem like it was comfortable. Like he wasn't comfortable saying, like making the point that he wanted to make. It was, it was a very weird answer. Which is why I think the criticism that he received was justified. But I do agree with Steph that I think that was the main point he was getting at. And, and Bill, kind of to go back to what you were saying, I do think that it, it mattered. And I don't think it necessarily mattered because of the start of the season. But, you know, one thing about training, one thing about off-season training is that it provides a, a baseline for where you enter the year. Because anybody yeah. who's played a sport, like a competitive sport that, that is, you know, not even competitive, but like, like anybody who's played a competitive sport at a relatively high level knows that as a season progresses, you lose weight, you wear down. You know, you you aren't at the same physical level that you were at the start of the year when you came in raring to go because you were training all summer and you were working on building up muscle and getting to your ideal playing weight and stuff. You start wearing down because it's draining. Even in a normal year, it's draining. And the thing is, is that if your baseline isn't as high as it should be, then when you start wearing down, it, it has a larger impact your as the season progresses. Especially when in March you have to play 17 games in 31 days after some people actually had COVID 19 the month before. So I think that to me is where the impact of offseason training comes in. It doesn't necessarily come in in the beginning because you're still in pretty good shape. But after two months of hockey and an insane schedule, yeah, then you're thinking, man, maybe I should have rather, rather than starting the season at 92%, I should have started the season at 100% because now instead of being at 86%, I'm at 70%. It blows my mind. And again, I don't know how Canada works, but I just assume every single guy has a rink in their backyard that's frozen 24-7. That's just... <laughs> I assume it's like Gordon Bombay's backyard and they just have fucking... Like that was even Canada. It was Minnesota. I know, but they're even further north. Exactly. Fair. Like it's, I, I just, I, it's, it's insane to me. I, I, I can't believe it. Honestly, my xenophobia is showing again. Uh, but, but I, I no, let's but, let's use this, as, let's use this as a springboard because we kind of danced around the the discussion here, and I think it's because this was really, if, if there was an overarching theme to exit interviews on the part of definitely the the management and coaches, but also the players in part because like it was a viable question to ask how much do we attribute this season really to the impact of the pandemic and is it a viable excuse to use the word that everyone uses because the idea of the season was unacceptable you can't use excuses if you say the pandemic was a factor that's an excuse how viable of an excuse is it so here's I can't, I don't think that that question can be answered simply. Fair. Because I don't think that you could say the fact that there was a pandemic happening, that on its own 
is enough to excuse what happened to the Flyers this season. I don't believe that at all. Because as has been said, every single team was playing hockey in a world where a pandemic was happening and not all of them look like utter garbage. That said, there was a very specific set of events and things that followed that happened to the Flyers because of the pandemic that caused their season to absolutely fall apart. Prior to March, prior to all half the team getting COVID, they weren't great. However, they were starting, and I think Charlie, you can back me up on this. They were starting to turn it around. Yes, in the uh, few they abso- games they before. Yes, before they had to be shut down. So now they're shut down because half the team has COVID, and not just like the bottom half of the team. It's most of the really good players have ended up getting COVID. Okay, that sucks. Now you have an outdoor game sitting on the calendar that the NHL refuses to fuck up and forces you to come back and ice half of an AHL lineup to play that game on television. It's a disaster. What else was going to happen? After that, you have to play 47 games in 15 days at a point where your goaltender is starting to lose his shit and has absolutely not a single second to get it back together. It wasn't just okay, there's a pandemic happening, and so the Flyers played bad. It was a very specific set of things that happened that did not happen to every single team. And you can't just hand wave that away and be like, well, they should have dealt with it. Like, that's, it's not a realistic thing to say. Like, would it have been nice if they had dealt with it, if Carter Hart hadn't been falling apart at the exact moment that all of this started happening? That would have been nice, but that's not what happened. And you have to acknowledge that, like, all of that together... If you want to call it an excuse, fine. But all of that together is going to affect the outcome. And it did. And it sucks. But it it happened. And it wasn't just like an excuse that you could just wave away. Like it it didn't matter because it happened to everybody. It didn't happen to everybody. Not like that. No, and I I think... It, like all those points are important and they're they're absolutely relevant. It just shows me more than like oh it's an excuse, you know. It, it's more just that like the Carter Hart thing. They had no plan B. Now, uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you can't account for That's a guy fair. No, like you can't account for a guy like okay, we had the we had the pandemic break and then suddenly like they had to play 38 games in 70 days. You knew it was a condensed schedule, not that condensed, but you knew it was a condensed schedule coming in. Forget, like, him falling apart mentally or whatever. Say he gets hurt. You were going to have to ride Brian Elliott for however long that was in this condensed schedule and then say, oh, yeah, Alex Lyons are three. Let's see how this goes. Like, unless Carter Hart had the perfect healthy season and was excellent, they were fucked in net. And, like, they did nothing to address that. And they did nothing when it started unraveling. And then, you know, they go 14, 19, and 5 over that 38-game stretch because they have no goalies now. Yeah. I mean, that got back to – that gets back to Charlie's point that they needed to do something in March. And not doing something in March was a failure. But I I was mostly talking about, like, the product on the ice and the way that the team was playing and that kind of stuff. That, I think, you can, if you want to just put one word on it, attribute it to the pandemic. How the front office responded to it is a different thing, in my opinion. They could have done better. But I just don't think that you can hand wave pandemic and say that the Flyers should have dealt with it the same way everyone else did because everyone else did better. Like, I, I just don't think that's a fair assessment. I don't think it is either. And the point that I made on Twitter is that everybody deals with trauma differently. And these are 
human beings and what we've all been through over the past year and a half is a trauma. Um, so it just, it drives me insane to hear people say, well, other teams did it better. Well, that doesn't matter. Like, let's look at, at the individual cases. And I know that we're going to get into this soon, but hearing the quotes from these guys, like they really, really went through a, a rough patch. You got it. You got to give them a little bit of a break. Like it's been hard. Yeah. So kind of where I've come around on this, and I really had to you know do a lot of thinking of where I stood on this because I think it's a fascinating question because I don't think it's right just to say like, well, the season didn't matter because COVID fucked them over. Like I don't think that's right. That 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 lets too many people off the hook. Where I've kind of come around on this is that absolutely the pandemic was the number one reason on the whole why the Flyers season was bad. 100% number one reason. And that's just based on everything we've learned about the year. It's based on, you know, the Flyers had the worst goaltending in hockey, primarily because Carter Hart, you know, had serious problems dealing with everything. You know, I told you, talked to Scott Lawton in, in, in exit interviews. He lost weight and then couldn't taste anything, so he couldn't put weight back on, which plays into why he scored, you know, no points in 20 straight games in the year. You talk to Oscar Lindblom, who basically was like, like, I couldn't get back to where I was because the schedule was too crazy, and I totally believe that because the guy had fucking cancer treatments the year before. I mean, I, I don't think it helped guys like Nolan Patrick either. You know, you can criticize him all you want, and he deserves it, but I don't think the schedule helped him. Like, I think there were guys who definitely— <clears throat> underachieved in large part because of the pandemic. However, and I think this is an important distinction because this is where I don't let them off the hook. And this goes sort of back to what Bill was saying about the goaltending situation. The Flyers, in my mind, did not prepare themselves well to deal with what were possible challenges coming from this season. And that goes primarily back to the front office. I don't think the front office and the coaching staff and the players to a degree in terms of we're talking about this, this offseason training stuff and whatnot. I don't think there was sufficient preparation for how difficult this season was going to be. Now, like there are some things like Carter Hart going through some shit. You can't prepare for that. But what you can say, as Bill said, is that, hey, Maybe we shouldn't put the weight of the fucking world on a 22-year-old goalie in the middle of a pandemic and sign, re-sign a 35-year-old backup who is not going to be able to play that many games. Maybe, instead of spending $3 million on Eric Gustafson, we should go out and get a viable backup who's under the age of 30 that can actually mm. play games in case Carter Hart falls apart. That is a viable, like, hey, maybe we should have thought this through. We shouldn't have put everything on heart because, granted, when you're building a team, you have to make sacrifices. You don't have unlimited cap space. And one of the sacrifices they made was that we're going to trust that Carter Hart can carry us this season. And that was wrong. They were wrong. 100% wrong. Going back to the offseason training, yes, the players, maybe the young players in particular, the ones that have been back to Canada, couldn't train as well. Maybe the organization could have done a better job of helping them with workout plans. Maybe they could have done a better job with mailing them, you know, tons of equipment that they could set up in their house. Maybe there was stuff that other teams did to better prepare their players for this season that the Flyers didn't. The coaching staff. Maybe the coaching staff should have used training camp more efficiently 
to make it so the start of the year wasn't a total system failure. Maybe they didn't do a good job of repairing their players, and maybe they didn't do a good job of helping these young guys' confidence when the young guys were struggling big time in the middle of a pandemic. You know, there are a lot of ways here where I think the Flyers could have prepared better and dealt with the situation better that are worthy of criticism. I don't think they went into the season fully grasping just how tough this season had the potential to be, and I think it burned the shit out of them. And that's my main complaint. I think the pandemic excuse is viable, but they should have done a better job of of guessing and predicting the impact that it could have and maybe cutting some of these problems off before they ever started. And again, I'm not saying there weren't things they couldn't predict. They couldn't predict that there was going to be a COVID outbreak. They couldn't predict that Carter Hart was going to have serious mental health problems in the middle of a pandemic. But there were things that they could have done a better job preparing for, and they didn't. And those things, in my mind, partially led to the season going off the rails. Those are incredibly good points, Charles. Chuck, as someone with zero confidence in the front office, I now have less somehow. <laughs> we did I just it. like well, <laughs> mission accomplished. Like, no, like my first thought was like, yeah, like these excuses they would never like oh I couldn't work out. Like this shit would never fly in football because it's such like a militaristic you get your work in sport. Like the and the organizations like are your overlords basically and they don't let that shit fly. And then I think like what Rod Brendamore would do. If someone was like, yeah, I'm, I'm having trouble working out. Like, he'd fucking mail him a copy of Rocky Ford and be like, see that? <laughs> cut, down, cut down a tree and then lift the fucking tree. How about that? <laughs> like, I, I just, I, it, it's really driving me nuts. But I do agree, like, all of these things, like, there were a specific set of circumstances. It's not just like, oh, pandemic, what can you do? It's just like, our position was so precarious, like... Yeah, we're really depending on Nolan Patrick. If um, you know, if he, if he doesn't have a good season, it's not going to work out. Like we were just depending on so many young guys to yeah. take a step yeah. forward that if it didn't work, there was no way the team could take a step forward. Yeah, that's another thing. Like they part the reason and Fletcher flat out said this in the offseason. Part the reason why they didn't make aggressive moves in the offseason was because they were like, well, getting Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom back, that's going to be our upgrades. Maybe they should have taken a step back and been like, hey, this is going to be a crazy schedule. These guys both went through serious physical health issues. Maybe we shouldn't depend on them to be our upgrades because maybe they won't be able to give a lot in this weird season. Maybe there was too much placed upon them without a full understanding of like, hey, you know, we have to account for the fact that they just might not have it this year. And again, this goes back to my point of they didn't do a good enough job of planning for just how tough this season had the potential to be, particularly on young guys. I love, I like that you just, you, 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 you added the caveat this year to these guys just might not have it. So let's talk about Nolan Patrick for a second. Um, listen, I, I don't think he's very good. I, in fact, think he's probably <laughs> bad at this point. Uh, but uh, the, oh, no, and, and listen, this is, this is going to, I don't, he's probably not like a good NHL player. Uh, we've seen mm-hmm. it. Um, but I really had to laugh at the criticism 
of, uh, like, people saying, oh, they're just going to come back with Pat. Like, this is one of those things. Did you want the organization to come out and be like, yup, we're sick of this fucking guy. We're giving away. <laughs> you know what? Fifth caller gets a lightly used Nolan Patrick. Like, what were they supposed to say? Uh, that's what it, like... I'm all for being angry because they they're worth being angry at this off season. The team sucked and we had to watch it. Like it was more painful than any of the previous like bad seasons, honestly. Because I came in with expectations only to get beaten over the head with a club repeatedly every single night, like a goddamn baby seal. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh no. But like. What oh are they? What are they supposed to say? Like maybe they are gonna give up on Nolan Patrick. Why would they say that? That's one of those things where it's like there's so much to actually be mad at that people yeah. inventing reasons to be mad about stuff is like, what are you doing? Like, when has a front office ever come out and said fat, like, just like plainly true things yeah. in a press conference? It's always canned bullshit. Like, this isn't new. So I, why would you get mad about it? I'd be worried if they said something truthful. I'd again, like, I'd have even less confidence. I'd be like, oh my god, they're telling the truth. What the fuck are they doing? So the the reason that I tweeted that it sounds like they're expecting Nolan Patrick back is because I think it was Chuck Fletcher. I can't remember right now. Again, I'm dangerously undercaffeinated. <laughs> um led the conversation in the way of, well, let's see how training camp goes and we'll see him next season and we should have a better season. Like he led the conversation that way. It wasn't a direct question that said, you take it with the biggest grain of salt because who the fuck, who the fuck knows? And the guy's making under a million dollars. So really we need to stop stressing about whether he comes back or not because he's, he did not earn a bigger paycheck. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, he doesn't make a lot of money, but I worry. Also, he's bad. He has a yes, negative impact. That's the thing. I, I mean, I worry. he was bad this season. He was bad before. Prior too. to this season, we were saying he's a serviceable 3C. Well, that's the thing. Like, at this point now, if they're going into next season with him penciled in as 3C, I'm not super confident about that. Well, I mean, let's He see. should be penciled but... in as the 13th forward. In terms of him coming back, yeah, I expect him back too, because why would anyone want him? He stinks. Well, I mean, a... he, the, the, thing with, the thing with Patrick in my mind is that if he... I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he comes back. Um, you know, there's definitely been some smoke around the idea of maybe the kid needs a fresh start somewhere else. You know, there was... There, there, there was some talk. Elliot Friedman brought up some talk on on a couple of his podcasts about the idea that you know maybe Patrick needs you know a change of scenery. Knowing what I know about Chuck Fletcher, like if Patrick, if if Fletcher believes that it's in Patrick's best interests as a person to be somewhere else, I think he will do his best to accommodate him. Now I don't know if that's the case, but it's just based on what I know about Chuck Fletcher. Like he, like. Chuck Fletcher, I think, let me put it this way. There are people in the Flyers organization that do not like Nolan Patrick, that do not think he's going to be good. I do not think Chuck Fletcher is one of those people. I think Chuck Fletcher actually likes the kid. I think Chuck Fletcher actually believes in the kid. But I believe that if Fletcher thinks that it's just not going to work here and that maybe he needs to be closer to home, maybe he needs to be with a, you know, a general manager he trusts, which brings up the possibility of Vegas. Like, 
I think he will try to accommodate him. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Patrick comes back. That said, I do think that Fletcher is wary about getting rid of Nolan Patrick because he still does believe in the skill set. So I don't think he's going to give him away unless Nolan Patrick basically makes it clear that like, hey, I would really appreciate like being somewhere else because I just don't think it's going to work here. That's where I'm at with Nolan Patrick right now. I can't. There's only one circumstance under which he breaks out and becomes like a legitimate player, and it's when we give him away. That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> like when if he's yeah. traded in a package to Calgary, he'll continue. He'll continue being Nolan Patrick. Yeah, uh, I, but, I mean, look, like, I, I am like I am the like foremost hater of the plus minus stat, but like, but no, if that's you're a, un, that's if you're, terrible. If you're a negative 30, okay, in 52 games played, there's probably something there. (laughs) Well, here's the thing. There is a problem. That's bad. That's that's so bad. Perhaps if he skated into the defensive zone one time, as opposed to just just kind of coasting his way in there. He gets there when he gets there. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah, you're not the center or anything. You're not the third defenseman, Uh, you know. Uh, I just, my God, uh, it, it was brutal. The thing is, it like his plus minus, brutal season. His plus minus directly reflects the fact that they just never score when he's on the ice. That's what it tells me. Yeah, he has a negative impact. Yeah. They just never. He does nothing to contribute to the scoring of goals. Whether the other team scores or not, that's pretty much up to them because it was up to the other team all year whether they wanted to score or not. Can't just blame that on Nolan Patrick, but like they never score when he's out there. He does nothing. Ugh. Do we have Nolan Patrick quotes? I know we were supposed to set up quotes. I don't remember what they were. Uh, we do. Um, All right. So yeah, I don't think I don't think we specified Nolan Patrick quotes, but yeah, he was he definitely was. Um, you know, he looked down. He looked real down on his season. You know, obviously Nolan Patrick has a a reputation for not being especially forthcoming with the media, um, and he was not loquacious. Let me put it that way. But there did seem to be. It's really hard to tell with him as a media person because it's hard to tell whether he's, you know, not talking a lot because it's out of scorn for the people he's talking to or if he's not talking a lot because he's just really down on himself. But I will say that, like, this interview, it did seem to lean more towards the latter than the former. I'm sure the former was there a bit because I don't think that's ever going anywhere with him. But it did seem like he was down and disgusted with his play this season. Like that's that's what I got out of listening to his quotes and I did it so I was um tweeting so I had it just the video was in the background and I was just listening I wasn't watching um and what I heard was someone who just like this is as close as you're going to get to a player saying out loud I played like shit this season um and like there's a lot of self-loathing there that's what I heard I heard Someone that hates Nolan Patrick. I kind of operate under the assumption that Nolan Patrick thinks Nolan Patrick is the fucking best. Uh, that's not what I heard at all. To be fair, I did not hear the Nolan Patrick portion of the exit interviews. Yeah, no, I, I think that Nolan Patrick thinks that Nolan Patrick is a piece of shit. Well, that makes two of us. Um... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, I want I want nothing like I, I'll criticize the guy all day, but it's because I want nothing more than for him to be good. Because if he's good, it solves a very specific two year long problem that has plagued this team. Like they need what he does very badly. Like they need a third line center. It's it's a big old hole in the middle of this lineup. Like we talked about the depth with this team, the depth of this the strength of this team was their depth at forward. Well, if you don't have a 3C, you don't have a third line. It doesn't matter who your wingers are. Like I it, it's a very specific issue that he could solve by being good and it just it's very frustrating to see the path his career has taken. Now, maybe the migraines not playing for a year and then coming back in this bullshit season, like we've outlined, it is a shit season. Like there's a lot of reasons for a lot of things to go wrong. I just, man, I'm finally coming around to the thinking that like, maybe he really just doesn't want it that bad. Now maybe this, like he'll realize it and he'll turn it up and he'll work to become the player he needs to become. But he seems like a guy. And I was like, I resisted this line of thinking for a long time. But he kind of seems like a guy who expected to step on the ice in the NHL and keep doing what he was doing in juniors. And yep. since he can't, he's like, yep, so be it. Yeah. E- because even... It would be one thing if he was just bad. Like, alright, you had a bad season. You just came back from a year off. Okay. But he never really looks like he's trying. And I don't think it's like a Jeff Carter you don't look like you're trying because you're just that good. Jeff Carter was it's, fast. He wasn't trying, but he was still skating by that's guys. That's the thing. I, like, <laughs> I just, I think it was not the last game of the season, but one of the Washington games. I just remember it was in the overtime, and he was on the ice. And I just Which kept like waiting why? for him to enter the frame. <laughs> I just kept waiting for him to enter the frame. And then, Washington, I think it was a Washington game. I might be making this up. Washington scored. And then here comes Nolan Patrick just, like, coasting into the zone where the other players were. And I'm just like, could you just try a little bit? Like, just try some? Maybe then you would be better? I don't know. And, like, where uh, – that's – like, in terms of just his overall attitude, like, where does his disdain from the, for the media come from? Yeah, you just like, got here, buddy. Yeah, what yeah, have they uh, done but, to like, him? It's he was one of these kids that was under a microscope for his entire teenage life. Most like, of those guys are good with at this. the media. What was that? most of those guys are really good at the media thing because they've been doing it for uh, so long. I mean, maybe, but you know, he's he's a different personality. He's say it, just say it. And what that he's an yes. asshole? <laughs> oh no, I was going to say <laughs> that wasn't what I was going to say. I mean, like he's someone that lives with Kevin Hayes. And Kevin Hayes is like, yeah, he just stays in his room all day. Like, I don't ever, I don't know that he's here. Like, he just, he's in his room all the time. Like, he is an introvert. So dealing with that type of environment probably is not fun or good. Like, I'm a personality who I would love to be interviewed every day of my life. Like, you want a camera to follow me around? Like, yes, please. Like, I am an entertaining person. We'll do this. But that's not everybody's personality. But also, he's an asshole. There it is. Like, he's an asshole. <laughs> like, I, like, listen, I've never talked to the guy. I don't know if he's an asshole, but, like, he sure seems like it. Yeah. Maybe he's nice to his friends, you know? I, I don't know. Probably not. 
do you <laughs> i mean there, like, there's there's always that there's that person in the friend group who is like Brisk. kind of a dick yeah. but like it's funny because there's that like element of trust there so you let them be kind of a dick because you know they're going to have their back in the end maybe that's that's not magic I don't have any friends who aren't dicks, honestly. So, like, okay, yeah. fair. Um, do does everyone here expect like if you had to put money on it, Nolan Patrick, Philadelphia Flyer, game one next season? I would say no. I would put money on him not being a Flyer next season. I would keep my money because I I think it's fifty fifty at this point. I would say, yeah, I, I would say 50 50, I think. Um, you know, I'm going to obviously. Everything's 50 50. Oh, everything's 50 50. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to do more digging on these kind of questions over the next couple of weeks, yeah, you yeah. know, off the record conversations and whatnot. Right now, it's just been like a sprint to pump out as much content as possible. So I really haven't been having those conversations much. At this point, I would say that, yeah, it, it I could see him coming back. I could see him not coming back. I, I don't think it's, it's hard, fast, one way or the other. If you had, you put a gun to my head. My guess is that he he's somewhere else, but that's just a hunch. That's not based on like anything I specifically heard. I just think they're going to make yeah. changes this summer, and if they don't think that Patrick is going to work here, then get him somewhere else where he might work. So speaking of changes, doesn't look like the coaching staff's going to be shaken up at all. Yeah. Uh, Av, I'm fine with Av coming back because again, like 12 months ago, I thought he was one of the three best coaches in hockey. I'm not putting this on the head coach entirely. Everybody deserves blame for this year. But, like, if we're going to blame him, we also have to blame every single member of the team. Um, you know. It's, I am. Yeah, and, and I do. Like, absolutely. Like, I, I think even guys that I believe had good years shoulder blame. And that's the thing. Like, I like Claude Giroux a lot. I think he could have been a better captain this year. Uh, like, I like Kevin Hayes. He had a shit year. You know, I think Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers are good. But they did not play good. Like, so I, you know, everyone deserves blame. Um, Tarion and Yo, though, man, like, how? How are they coming back? How? They gotta go. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, I think there's, I think there's just a feeling with Fletcher and the front office that, they don't want to pin this on the coaches and they don't want to let the players off the hook and they like the experienced coaching staff, you know, multiple guys with, with head coaching experience. And it looks like that's why, I mean, I still wasn't sure if maybe after exit interviews they might turn and maybe dump one of these guys. I wondered if Kim Dillaball might get let go because he wasn't even a guy Fletcher hired. He was here before Fletcher got hired, and I didn't get the sense that Dillaball and Hart were on the same page a lot of this year, especially in terms of trying to fix him in March. So I thought maybe they go with a different goalie coach. Right now, it looks like they're not going to make any changes. That could, you know, that could that could change. Maybe they they make a late decision to to make some adjustments next week. I don't know, but I can say that like the players and the coaches, particularly assistants, they were not on the same page a lot of this year. I mean, there was tension. There was absolutely tension there between the players and the coaches, and. And it was That's obvious. Why I was like, you could tell if, just watching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that there are players that would not have been sad to see some of those assistants go. So that's why I wonder if it's like the fact that they're not going is a message from the front office to the players that like, 
hey, we're not going to bail you out of this. You need to figure out how to coexist with these guys because we think they're good at their jobs. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Like, particularly on, on in the case of Michelle Terry, and like, I have seen nothing over these two years that tells me he can coach a power play well. I've seen nothing. But and they like him. I've seen nothing that tells me he can coach. I mean, I, he, he can coach. <laughs> Whether he can do it well <laughs> is another story. He can, I mean, that's one of those coach. things. Like, we're not, a, we're not supposed to blame the coaches. And I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people are going to say, like, who are these prima donna bitches to be mad at their coach for telling them to do things? But, like, if you're Claude Giroux and you've been excellent at a power play for your entire career and then some asshole is telling you to do a bunch of dumb stuff that you know isn't going to work, but you have to do it, like, of course you're going to get pissy. Like, why wouldn't you get pissy? You know it's stupid, but you have to no, do like it. We have Claude Giroux and James Van Riemsdyk, and yet our power play stinks. This is what these guys do. Like, this is the thing that makes them worth the money. And somehow it doesn't work. It just baffles me. Like, uh, why is Ivan Provorov on the power play? He can't handle the puck. It's insane. They they finally took him off the power play the final game of the year. They had Cam York and Shane Gosper. Ivan Provorov was not on the power play. So it took 56 games, but they got there eventually. Very strong like, scratching uh, Oscar Lindblom in game 82. Oh, I was going to say Chris Vandeveld. <laughs> yeah, I, I just worry. I worry about the decision to keep the assistants for this reason. Like, my sense with Vigneault and the players is that Vigneault definitely pissed guys off this year, without a doubt. Like, I think that his, his comments on Carter Hart because the team knew what Carter Hart was going through and his comments about he needs to work harder and no one questions Carter Hart's work ethic. I think they rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I think the scratches pissed people off. Like, I think that players were pissed at Vino this year. But I think the players, despite being pissed at Vino, still generally think he's a smart guy and a good coach. Like, say, okay, he might be an asshole, but, like, he's good at his job. Like, we acknowledge that his systems are good and that he's a smart guy. And you can come back from that. Like, you can come back from that because winning winning fixes everything. Once you're winning, everybody's happy, and, you know, then it's like, well, okay, maybe he scratched so-and-so for a game, but, hey, we're winning, so got to trust him. The assistants, I don't know. Like, I think there it may have reached a point with some guys where they're like, it's not just that they don't like the assistants, it's that they think they suck at their jobs. And I don't know how you come back from that. It's a concern. Like, because... I mean, shit, like, last season, when everything was good, it was clear there were guys who did not like Michelle Terrian's way of managing a power play. Like, I talked with Jake Voracek on the fucking record, and he basically was like, I don't understand why they're just not putting G on his normal side, me on my normal side, and having us on the same power play and just letting it roll. We've been doing this for eight years. It works. Just do it. And, like, that was on the record. So, and that was in the good year. Like, imagine how pissed they were in the bad year. (laughs) No, and that's like, that's like you said, like Elaine Vigneault, like I'm not comparing him to Bill Belichick, who's like the best coach ever, but like nobody likes Bill Belichick, but like they all respect him. So they deal with it. These assistants, I'm getting strong Ottawa senators in the Uber vibe. Like, yes, (laughs) yes. Remember that? Oh God, amazing reference. The greatest, that reminder. The greatest, the single greatest, like fucking TMZ video of all time. And <laughs> Remember like, how the Flyers penalty kill the time was even worse? Have ever done. 
Yeah, they're like looking it up and they're like, oh, the only team we're better than is the Flyers. <laughs> like, <that's just> <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like Dillabaugh, like especially like goalie is so such a mental position. Like it's one of those 90 percent half mental things. Um, I just want Carter Hart to be comfortable and happy. And if he's not, there's no point of the coach. Like none. In Le Perrier, what does he do? What He's does he to do? Because professional it, best friend, but he needs to not be on the bench. If the whole team if is, you need a, a professional best friend. Call up Chris Stewart and put yeah. him behind the bench. Guess what? Professional best friend, good cop, whatever his job is. If the whole team's pissed off at the coaching staff and everyone's having an impossible time dealing with the pandemic, you're failing at your only job of giving hugs. <laughs> like, wh- wh- what you doing here, Ian? He must make really bad chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> like, I bet they're chalky and disgusting. Yeah, I don't... I mean, Lappy's role has always been described to me as kind of like a conduit role where, you know, he's the guy the players can talk to. He's the guy that they can vent to. He's he's that guy. He's, like, their buddy. And... on in, in a sense, I get that. And then there's also, like, a scouting role. You know, he was providing you know, up in the box insights to the coaches in games last year. Obviously, that was different this year because he was on the bench now. Um, The thing with Lappy is, like, I just don't think his role is essential. So if they keep him around, like, whatever. That said, I'm not sure how much value he's actually adding. So if they were to let him go, it would also kind of be, like, whatever, I feel bad for you because you're a good dude. But, like, I don't know how much you're actually adding to this whole thing either. Yeah, can he just like be the captain of the alumni team or something? Like, I don't. He doesn't appear to need to be. I I don't know. Maybe he's essential. I. This is just the whole thing. This coaching staff. Just as if you want to send a message, like I get, you know, we're not going to blame the coaches. Deal with it, but also the players are the ones who have to go out there and play. Like maybe they shouldn't be pissed at everybody. I. Yeah, but with the. With Vigneault, I can buy that, but with the assistant coaches, like, the strategy and the fundamentals were bad. Yeah. It was a direct result of what they were telling them to do. They're not good at their Like, if you're coaching the defense and the defense doesn't know that the slot is where you're going to want to cover some guys, like, uh, you're doing a really, really bad job. Yeah, the the point about the systems I will make is that, and, and... I'm not the power play to me is the exception. Like I don't know what they do on the power play, but whatever it is, it it, it ain't working. Um, what I'll say about the five on five systems and what I'll say about the penalty kill systems is that they did work last season. So, like, I don't know if there's necessarily like, I don't know if it's necessarily that like the systems are inherently flawed. I think it's more that the execution was really off. And maybe the players they have couldn't execute the system, but at the same time, the players could act, most of them could have could execute it the previous year. So you can make an argument maybe that other teams adapt it to how the Flyers play, and the Flyers coaches didn't make the necessary tweaks. But in all honesty, hockey systems aren't that complicated. Like everybody no. pretty much knows what everybody else is doing. Most of it is execution and little tweaks in terms of how you match up with certain teams and what they like to do. So this goes back to the overarching point of like, it worked last year. Why didn't it work this year? We need to figure that out. 
and there's a lot of factors that go into it. But I'm not going to say that like the defensive system is inherently flawed because the defensive system worked in 2019, 2020, and it's not like they made major changes. It's just they need to get back to what they were doing in 2019, 2020. Well, they need Matt Niskanen back because they need somebody. You know, a team doesn't function without one single player named Matt Niskanen. Most important defenseman you. ever. Or Lidstrom, Pronger, Niskanen. That's it. It's that's that's the Mount Rushmore. Apparently, we had no idea he had like a fucking fourteen year career, and we had no idea that he was actually the best defenseman in the league by leaps and bounds. Like they gave up like under thirty shots a game last year. Like, they were awesome defensively, and now yeah. it's just it's just uh it's a fucking shit show in the defensive zone. Like guys wide open nonstop, and a lot of it like young players just did not take. A step forward this year. So we have some quotes. We're going to start with Chuck Fletcher on the young players. We're actually going to play the quotes for you, and then uh, and then we're going to get into discussing them. So we're going to start here with Chuck Fletcher, not O'Connor. But we also need a lot of our young players to be better. And you know, I would say, really, with the exception of Joel Farabee, I would say the majority of our young players either plateaued or took a step back this year. So that. That, that's a big concern for me. Uh, since 2014, this this franchise has put a lot of time and effort in, into drafting and developing young players. And, and, you know, frankly, for us to take a step forward, we're going to need that group of players to to take on, uh, you know, a bigger role and play better and, and uh, help us win games. We, we're going to have to look outside the organization, but certainly, um, you know, it's difficult to replace a whole team. You're going to need your young players to, to take a step and be better. And, and uh, they have a big summer ahead of them. So we're hopeful that uh, as things normalize and, and uh, you know, this off season, hopefully they, it's, it's easier for many of these young players to, to, to skate and to train and to, and to, and to prepare more normally than, than they maybe were able to do last off season. And we're hopeful that uh, we'll see uh, an energized group of players come training camp. All right, so, uh, like, how do we feel? Like, obviously, they're making an ex- the exception for Joel Farabee, as they should. He was awesome. But this attitude of the young players, uh, about the young players, how are we feeling about ch- what Chuck Fletcher's saying? Well, I think we discussed this earlier. Um, and Joel Farabee is probably the one player that I don't hate right now, so that's good. Um. But we did we did talk about this. Um, I they did need to be better. Like they were shit. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting part about this quote is not that obvious. Like obviously, the young players didn't play well. Obviously, pretty much everybody under the age of twenty five either didn't take a step forward or actually got worse this year. Aside from Joel Farabee, it's more how blunt Fletcher was about pointing it out. Because, I mean, I remember when we did the press conference with Fletcher in March, you know, I zeroed in on the young players being the bigger issue than the vets, who generally speaking were having decent years, maybe not great years, but having decent years. And Fletcher pretty forcefully defended his young players. You know, he kind of was like, hey, we still believe in them. We still think they're really good. And this conference had a different tone. This conference had a tone of, hey, these young players, like, yeah, we still believe in their talent level, but 
they really shit the bed this year and they need to be a lot better. And that to me was interesting because it very much felt like, you know, a shot across the bow of those guys going into the offseason, basically being like, yo, guys, get your fucking shit together. And the, the really interesting quote that he had in here to me was basically, we're not going to be good if the young players don't get better. That was a frank acknowledgement. And that's in my in my mind that's really the pivot point on how you feel about the future of this team. If you came out of the season and you're basically just like these young guys like they just don't have it. They don't have it in them to be impact guys. The Ron Hextall era was a waste because we got a bunch of good not great players as a result of his rebuild then you're going to think to yourself, we need to blow this thing up because these guys just aren't that good. If you believe that the young players just had a bad year and a lot of them are going to bounce back, maybe not all, you know, maybe Nolan Patrick just isn't anything. But if you think most of the young players are going to bounce back and or improve, then you're feeling like, hey, they can fix this. And it was just interesting to hear Fletcher basically spell that out because that was a level of frankness that I don't think we got through most of the interviews on Tuesday. I'll tell you, uh, like, the uh, go ahead, Kelly. No, I was going to say a thing that nobody wants to hear from me any, because it was about Rangers fans, so I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> <else. laughs> Elaine Vigneault no, but... things that Rangers fans told us. Uh, it, I it's just not worry so... that he's not the right coach for a team full of young players. Well, he wasn't the right coach for a team full of young players this year. That's that's undeniable. Right. I, can't, I always go back to that Buchnevich article that I didn't read until like a year after it came out where he basically, he frankly said, Elaine Vino destroyed my confidence. And Buchnevich is pretty good. So it's he like, is. you know, you don't love to hear it. It's what I'm going to say. And it worries me that literally every single young player took a step back, except for Joel Farabee. And usually when things went to shit, Elaine Vigneault got in front of a bunch of microphones and blamed the young players. I just, it worries me a lot. And I know there's nothing to be done about it because Elaine Vigneault isn't going anywhere. So these guys just have to deal with it. But uh, yeah, it worries me. I don't know. So, so here's, My- here's the point I'll make about that. Because th- that was definitely a narrative that blew up this year. Um, generally by people who already were Elaine Vigneault skeptics. Because it was like, hey, see, this is what we, this is what we always thought. He hates young players. I feel attacked. Okay, here's the point I'll make about that. If you go back to 2019-2020, you know who he was criticizing all the time? The vets. Jake he was Borch. calling them out like on a Non-stop. friggin' bi-weekly basis. He did do that. that was his thing. He was calling out the vets. And you know why? Because a lot of the vets weren't playing well. This year, he was calling out the young guys. You know why? Because a lot of the young guys weren't playing well. Maybe it's not that he hates young guys. Maybe it's that he hates guys that aren't playing well. And that's... Or maybe he doesn't hate anyone and he's just (laughs) doing his job. Yeah, and that's, like, to me, my concern with the young players isn't so much... I mean, it's on the coaching staff, obviously, to develop guys, but organizationally, since Sean Couturier, who have they developed? Like, who have they brought along? That's a guy that was drafted in 2012. Like... Uh, who? Scott Lawton? Well, like, is he the big success of this organization? Scott Lawton? Provorov. I mean, there's Ivan Provorov. Who has taken ma- a massive step back and has been inconsistent season to season throughout his career? Like, I, I just... 
Bear was so angry at what I had to say about Ivan Provorov that he needed to run away and, and yell because it's, uh, like, he knows how I feel about Ivan Provorov. Organizationally, I feel like they're failing these young... There's no way every young player like was just lazy this offseason and just happened to have a bad year because the coach is mean. Like, organizationally, uh, they can't be doing enough to develop these guys. If they were, one of them would break out. I think that's fair. Well... We had Joel Farabee, so one of them did, but I understand your point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough to say that after this season because obviously, like, everybody had a down year, so it's, you know, if you're talking about, like, an up-down trajectory, like, obviously there's going to be peaks and valleys, and we're speaking about this at the nadir of a valley. So, like, obviously, Ivan Provorov is going to look like he hasn't developed well right now. In reality, he's developed pretty well. Has he reached his, like, best-case scenario ceiling? No, but, like, he's developed into a pretty good player. Like, Carter Hart was looking like he was developing great, and then this year he fell apart. I mean, maybe that's, that's where we'll transition to that. But, like, I don't think that means that, like, Carter Hart is destined to be bad forever. He just had a really bad year, and we're talking about him at his worst. You know what I mean? No, that's, like, I I understand. I'm not saying these guys aren't going to turn out because of it. I'm just saying, like, it's going to, it's taking, like, extra, like, when everybody takes a step back. That's an organizational failure. It's not just these guys. It's not just the pandemic excuses. There's something else the matter. And I I have to look at who's ever, you know, trying to bring these guys along. Like I I did leave out Oscar Lindblom. I guess he's a development project, but, like, he did most of it overseas. It wasn't here. Like, yeah, he went to, like, rookie camps and shit, but he's developing in Sweden, not in Voorhees. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I mean, how do I sign up for that? <laughs> <laughs> you decided to go to Georgia. Um, yeah, wrong direction. So Charlie brought up Carter Hart, and this is what we'll close with. We also have uh, some quotes from Carter Hart, and, man, I love this kid. Uh, like, he's the one that I believe will be fine. Like, yes, terribly rough year. Maybe it's going to take longer than we all want it to take with this guy who we're putting the weight of the franchise on. But I believe in this dude so much. We're going to play you some quotes for him, and then we're going to react. Um, I mean, I think just this year, was it was challenging for everybody. Um, tough circumstances with COVID and everything. And um, I mean, some guys, it didn't affect them, and others more than others. Um, I mean, it's, uh, can be a little bit, was a little bit difficult this year when you live alone and stuff and you just go back and forth from the rink to your apartment every day. But, um, near the end, things were getting a lot better. I was hanging out with the boys a lot more. Uh, some of the boys were inviting me over for dinners and like just little things like that make it so much easier in, in a, in a, I guess a weird year. All right, so how do we feel about uh, Carter Hart's uh, forthrightness, forthcoming, I don't know, whatever. How do we feel about how, what Carter Hart had to say? I'm really glad he spoke on it because, like, it's been insinuated that he had a really rough time, but no one really knew. Um, and, and him just coming out and saying, like, this sucked. Um, was nice to hear but also heartbreaking because like 
I personally have been in that situation during the pandemic and it's really, really hard to live through. Like it's really difficult. So I, I don't like hearing that the star of our franchise, the, the prince who was promised was going through that hard time, but I'm glad that he spoke to it and seems to be coming through it on the other end. Yeah. I, I think it took a lot of guts for him to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it wasn't, I think it was fairly obvious if anyone was paying attention that he was going through some serious shit during this, especially in March. I mean, I think back to that Buffalo game in the beginning of March when he was absolutely terrible to start the game. They pulled him, and then he did post-game media availability, and he had this hat on, and it was, like, completely blocking his eyes, and he was just staring at the table the whole time. And you watched It was, like, sad. It was, like, my God. Like, this kid is a mess. And this goes beyond, like, I'm disappointed that I had a bad game. This is, I am an emotional wreck right now, and I don't know how to pull myself out of it. And you really hurt to see because, you know, you can't forget these guys are human beings. You can't forget that they deal with shit. They deal with a lot of stuff. And just because they make a lot of money and they're millionaires and they get to play a professional sport, it doesn't mean that they can't deal with, like, mental health issues. And... For Hart to come out and say this, I think it took a lot of guts because, number one, it's really hard to talk about this stuff. Like, it's really hard to talk about this stuff. Number two, the goaltending position, it has that reputation of, like, being a position for head cases. You know, goalies are crazy. Goalies are are different, that whole thing. And when you talk about stuff like this, you open the door for that. You open the door for people, for assholes to make fun of you you know, for, for dealing with depression. Like, you know, Robin Lehner opened the door for, for, for that kind of stuff too by, by the stuff that he's talked about over the last few years. Um, and I have to believe Hart knew that he was opening the door by doing that, but I think he just felt like he should. And I don't expect that he's going to talk about this, you know, a lot moving forward. I don't think he's going to, you know, be a Robin Lehner who brings us up a lot, who's like a mental health advocate. I don't think he necessarily is that kind of person who's going to feel comfortable doing that. But even just saying it out loud and saying that, hey, I was going through some shit. I'm a starting NHL goalie. I'm, I'm a name that people know. And, like, it's not, like, not that it's okay to go through this stuff. But, like, hey, if you were having a hard time living alone in the pandemic, like, hey, I was too. I think it matters. And, and, and I, I think it was a brave thing for him to do. Agreed. And, like, I, I, I want to... I didn't want to have this show and be too easy on everybody today because, like, listen, there are generally things to be mad about, but when we get into the circumstances of the individuals, like, it's very easy to see how things went They went the way they went, especially for, like, a guy like Hart, who, 22-year-old with the weight of the franchise, and he can't hang out. Like, he can't see his friends. Like, that's the, just, the, the, like, the part where he says it started to get a lot easier at the end, where I'm, I'm able to, like, go over to some of the boys' houses for dinner. Like, oh, man, that blows. That, like, and we all went through it. We all know how bad it sucks. But, like, when you're under that microscope and you don't have the outlet of just being able to, like, let loose with the boys every now and then, you see how these things could snowball. Like, like I don't want to be too easy on everybody today. There are things to be mad about with this team. But I, I think we do need to, like, 
have both sides of the discussion. I think we did a pretty good job of that today. Yeah, I think there's the big thing about this, and you know, obviously there is an element of like you know pandemic mental health problems that literally is just like this is an unprecedented period in world history. The world was on fire for you know long periods of time during the pandemic, even just aside from the pandemic, and that's going to fuck with people. I mean, it absolutely is. These are these are serious serious things. But one thing that Hart pointed out. And this is something that I mean I can speak to specifically is that it was really hard, especially for someone who doesn't live with other people. When you get caught in a spiral of thinking that you suck and that you don't matter and that like everything is bad, and then you just go home and think about that every day with no one around. It gets really, really bad. And I can speak to that personally because that absolutely happened to me. Like, it's tough. It's really freaking tough. And then everything gets worse because then you're second-guessing yourself constantly. And when you see people criticizing you, you're like, yeah, they're right. Like, I do suck. I'm really bad at everything and I don't deserve anything. And it's, it's like, it's not necessarily that, like, the pandemic caused the struggles, like maybe Carter Hart would have had technical issues regardless. You know, maybe he he made some changes in the offseason that didn't work out and then he couldn't fix them. Maybe th- that would happen regardless, but it became a lot harder to fix it because you just get trapped in your own head. And I think that's an important part of understanding what happened to Carter Hart this season because I think it's something that happened to a lot of people, maybe who didn't necessarily play professional hockey. But it happened to a lot of people just in their general lives and their ability to, you know, function like a human being, which is why I think it was important for him to point it out, because there's another subsection of people that's just kind of like has the mentality of just rub some fucking dirt on a kid. And that's not the right way to look at it. Like these are real Mm -hmm. problems that people need to work through as human beings. And that's the like when people are like, oh, they're millionaires, get over it. Like, yes, okay, he's not a millionaire yet, but he, he will be, sure. Uh, but, like, when you fuck up at your 9 to 5, it ain't on TV. Like, yeah. His, yeah. his, his, when he has, like, when he makes a mistake, when he is bad at his job for an extended period of time, thousands of people are talking about it nonstop on Twitter, and his fuck-ups are broadcast, like, around Canada and, like, on regional television. Like, it happens. Uh, so it's, it's rough, and you, we absolutely have to have both sides of the discussion. Real quick, just because I want to finish the outline, we're already over time, so why not fucking just finish it off here? Uh, Ivan Provorov going to Worlds. Uh, Kelly, you said like you reacted to it. You don't know why, but it makes you mad. I had the exact same it reaction. Does. I was like, I don't know why I'm upset about this stupid thing, but I am. Like, it just seems like the guy who never misses a game and plays 25 minutes a night like should take a week off. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe take a break. And also, like, you're if he goes over there and he plays fucking great hockey, I'm just going to be enraged by it. I know it. <laughs> I don't need to see him playing good hockey for the Russian national team after he was absolute dog shit for the length of this season. Like, I just don't want to see it. Just fucking take a break. How do you feel? (laughs) I will say, how do you feel about the idea of, because I was back and forth on this. Like, that season was a grind, and he probably doesn't like hockey very much. Like, I don't. So I can imagine having to actually do it would be like, I hate this. 
Uh, like, what if it's like, I'm going to go do this and enjoy it, and hockey will be fun again, and that will be good for him? I don't know if he has fun ever. I think <laughs> Like, this just feels like... That's an excellent point. It just feels like... In oh, Russia, fun has you. Yeah, it's, it's an opportunity for me to keep working, and I must work at all times. And <laughs> if this opportunity is there, I must take it. Like, I certainly can't go to the fucking shore and sit on the beach for a week, must play hockey, must roll tires up mountain. Like, just chill, buddy. <laughs> he's the horse He's the horse in animal farm, basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to psychoanalyze Ivan Provorov. I do think that he oh, is... <laughs> He's unbelievably <laughs> dedicated to his craft, and this very well could just be him with that mentality of this is just maybe I can improve a little bit by going, you know, and being around, you know, top players and competing and whatnot. That said, I mean, I do think that maybe he could benefit from taking some time off, but that's not what he's doing. So I guess go yeah. have maybe fun, buddy. He just needed an excuse to see his family. Well, he could see his family anyway, right? Yeah. Well, maybe he needed an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, is that it? Does anybody have anything else? Yeah, it was a it was a pretty long show. I think we talked about a lot. Yeah, I think I'm so sick of this team. Let's wrap, wrap it up. <laughs> oh, I wanted to talk about Samuel Moran, but what do you want to talk about, Samuel Moran? We, we we're, <laughs> yeah, at, we're just... at an hour and a half. Let's keep rolling. You're right. Um, just his his exit interview was one of the three that I thought was a human. Like all he was saying was like it was really hard. Like I had a really bad time of all my injuries. They moved I'm me to forward. <laughs> that was really and dumb, wasn't it? <laughs> and then I played defense. And if you had told me that I was playing defense in 20 games for the flyers, like I take it. That, that was, was cool. A, like okay, those that, are that, words that he said. That's another thing. And like, it's such a minor thing. I don't think it moved the needle at all in terms of this, but that's another like, man, the front office, like, they made a lot of dumb decisions. Like moving God, him forward so in retrospect was really dumb. Like it did not Friedman work at all. Moran. At all. Yeah. That's like I'm not saying Moran's a great defenseman, but he's clearly better at defense than he is at playing forward. It's he's not even like a Shane Gossesbear style defenseman where he plays like he's he's like a stay at home defenseman. Why would you think he could be a forward? Because they Ever. needed somebody to they needed somebody to hit Adam Pellick. Like that's it. That's that's I look well. look I I would not have a major and then like this would come down to like completely remaking the um the defense core which I have no problem with to be clear but I'd have really no issue if they brought Samuel Moran back as the seven like fine let him yeah. be like the guy who you know I don't want him like playing every night but yeah, I don't he think play he twenty played, thirty games no problem he played fine fine Plus, enough Moran in his was, in his was games not a bad yeah, third pair in his games on defense and if you want to have that like hey. We want to have somebody in the lineup to punch someone in the face. Yeah, I, I could live with Sam Moran as a seven. It's his teammates oh, love him. They think he's great. He's if, a great dude. Sure, make him a seven. If, Trade Robert Hayes and make him the seven. If they don't go out and get, like, somebody who can fight Tom Wilson, like, I want Samuel Moran in every Washington game. Like, that's what they need. They need someone who will jump over the boards and two-hand somebody if necessary. Like, I, I realize... That's not the game anymore, but apparently it's the game one team in our division wants to play, and I don't want that shit happening to Claude Giroux. Samuel Moran can at least avenge it, if not prevent it. I mean, theoretically, but it didn't happen at all in the games that he was dressed in this season, so. Well, he's doing his best. He is. I, 
I just like as a human being really appreciate the kid. I like him. Um, he seems cool. He's very. He's just very likable, and his interview was not canned. Um, he's not a canned he, person. I mean, he's he's very forthright about everything he's feeling. And that's what makes him a great interview. He's just. I actually I read an interview that was on. Um, it must have been NBC. Um, last night I read it and. Like, his mom told him to get a kitten while he was recovering from his ACL (laughs) surgery. So he got a kitten, and her name is Nala. And during this season, she's been up in Canada, and he FaceTimes her. Like, I... Like, he's just such a likable guy. (laughs) (laughs) What did you say? So, Jesus Christ, this is our enforcer. You know, it's, it's, that's probably hey, hey, a lot of the enforcers are like the, the nicest people. Yeah, like, no, that's it's, one it's, of the things. It's probably it's probably good that he's like not going home and like ripping lines and drinking a fucking twelve pack every night. <laughs> like it's better that he's facetiming his cat for for probably everybody. Yeah. In fairness, right. even the enforcers who did that generally were also good. Yeah, dudes. pretty they nice just, guys. You know, yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of them had drug issues because of the pain they were in and CTE, yeah, and well, it went real bad. Um, turns out bare-knuckle brawling like every night is bad for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of personality-wise, the vast majority of them were awesome guys, and everyone on the team loved them. I, well, I love Samuel Moran, and if he could stick around just to talk about his cat right. and also well, He wants to life. come back. Like, well, that, that was totally the, good that, that. Yeah, that was that was the main thing he kept bringing up at the end of his thing is like, look, I'd love to come back. You know, I think I'm the guy on this team who stands up for teammates, and you know, I don't know if we have another guy like that. So like, yeah, I'd I'd come yeah. back in a second. Like he's a he's an unrestricted free agent, so you know he could go somewhere else. The Flyers do have a lot of defensemen, especially with like Cam York and Igor Zamula coming up, and we're all kind of in agreement they're probably going to get at least one guy, whether it be a trade or free agency. So spaces start filling up, but like. If you can find a way where there's there's room for him as the seven or even as the eight, if you want to carry eight defensemen, like, yeah, why not? Bring Moran back. I just, like, what what a season. This is where we've come. We're talking about yeah. Sam. Charlie just told me to extend the show to talk about Samuel Moran. <laughs> this is not where we were a few months ago. And all of hey, us are like, was- yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Bring him back. But his, his game-winning goal was one of maybe, like, Three moments all season that was like a hundred percent good. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, just saying, one of those other two is like a sheet cake incident. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. God! God, this season sucked so bad. Oh my God! What a God! And it's over. Year. And that was that was it, guys. That was the last time we ever have to talk about that season. Now it is the off season. And we move forward. We look towards next year. We look towards the expansion draft. We look towards the entry draft. We look towards free agency, trades, all the good stuff getting you ready for next season because, fuck, I want to put this one in the rear view as quickly as possible. Like, goddamn, it just never ended. And now it's over. We are all free to just watch good hockey. Go Avs. All right, that is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, and boom, lots of content. I won't say daily anymore because checking and the post games are over, but, like, it's still all the Flyers coverage you will ever need uh, in your uh, in your ears there. So check it out. It's a lot of fun. All right, my name is Bill Matz. For Charlie, for Steph, for Kelly, 
Have a great offseason, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah! Who's gonna score hockey goals? Our team! No one does more hockey than our boys! The Flyers! Crossing Hockey Radio! Turn that shit up, you motherfucker! Crossing Hockey Radio! Just in and so good. Thousands of fall deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store, starting at only $30. Score denim, boots, sweaters, handbags, plus updates for the family and home. Check out new arrivals from Rag & Bone, Joe's, Doc Martin, Cole Haan, Travis Matthew, and more at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry, rack your look for fall with great brands and great prices today. Get first dibs on the season's best from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcast. It's 2023 and you're still looking for a baseball podcast? What's up, party people? Danny Vietti here from the Wake and Rake podcast. Yes, I know the name of our show, Freaking Rocks. Join World Series champion Will Middlebrooks and I as we banter about the best of the best from Major League Baseball, including power rankings. One of the best players of all time. Headlines. Solidifies a dynasty. And special guests. Reese Hoskins. Stroh showed. Jose Trevino. Listen and or watch every episode of the Wake and Rake podcast available on all your favorite listening platforms and the all-new Believe Sports Channel.